Hey now, this is the Word Made Fresh podcast with your host. I'm Matthew Tracy. And I'm Wendley Sentil. We are downright delighted to have you with us. Yes, very happy to have everyone. Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome everybody and we are excited. We are looking forward to this show. Uh, Matthew, can you give us a hint on what will we be studying today? So today we're going to start with the inspiration of the Bible. That's the overall topic that we're going to start with. And specifically, we're going to start with where the Bible came from. Well, I'm, I'm excited already. I'm looking forward to this and uh, especially answering the question, where does the Bible come from? But before we get started, we and we ask all of you, if you'd like to join us, are going to pray and ask God to be with the study. So, if you will, bow your heads with us. Our Father in heaven, we want to ask, dear God, that you would bless the study, that you would give us inspiration, even as your word is inspired, and that you will give us direction for our lives, and that you will be with us and teach us. We pray that you will give us understanding about your word and an appreciation for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know that we want to talk about the inspiration of the Bible, but I have a basic question, and I hope you don't mind. What is the Bible? The Bible is a book. It's one book comprised of numerous books. So there's different sections in the Bible. Is that, is that what you're referring to? There are different sections. The Bible primarily is divided into two sections. Mm, I see. The Old Testament and the New Testament. So Old Testament, New Testament, are, are those the only two books in the Bible? Those are two main sections. Oh, two sections, I see. Yeah, but there are actually th- uh, 39 books of the Old Testament mm. and 27 of the New, making a total of 66 books in the Bible. Oh, wow. That's, that's good to know. So there's the Bible, and it's divided into two. There's the Old Testament with 39 books, and the New Testament with 27 books. Correct. Can you give us maybe a little bit of details? How long did it take to put together those 66 books? Yeah, the Bible was actually written over a period of approximately 1,500 years. Hmm. 1,500 years. Uh, So that's from the first author into the second one. How did they get together? Right. Okay, so the the 1,500 years span between about 1,400 Hmm. BC. Before Christ. Uh Up to about 100 AD. Oh, got it. Yeah. And how many people exactly? I mean, if it's that long, I'm assuming no one lives for 1,500 <laughs> years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody, w- no one man was alive for over a thousand years to write this book. It was actually written by more than 40 different authors. And all of them, for the most part, came from different walks of life. So it's not the same person, the same family line that come together and, and say, hey, let's make this book. No. So that's often thought that a group of men kind of got together and put this thing together. Can you give us some example of some of the authors, who they were, and what, what they did? Uh, sure. Give us an idea. So, starting with the first author, Moses. Moses was a political leader. Mm. Uh, he was a judge, a scholar. He was trained in the universities of Egypt. Oh, it was an Egyptian Ancient guy. Egypt, mm. yeah. David, another author, he was a king. Amos, he herded sheep. Oh, he was a herdsman. <laughs> yeah. Joshua, he was a military general. Mm, a fighter. Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. Mm-hmm. Some of you might not know what that is, but that was where the... the it was a helper to the king, right? Yeah, it was a helper to the king, and his sole purpose was to give him the drink that he wanted. Oh, like food tasting. Yeah, like food tasting. Okay, yeah. for the king. That's pretty good. It was a very trusted position, and Nehemiah had that one. And uh, you had Luke, who was a physician. He's in the New Testament. Peter, he was a fisherman. Mm-hmm. And Matthew, 
He was a tax collector. So you have all these people from various walks of life over all this different time period. Oh, wow. And they together gave us the Bible. That's impressive. And they were they managed to put together a book over a long period of time that is somewhat cohesive, you will say? I would say from looking at this thing over and over again, I cannot help but be amazed at how cohesive hmm. and harmonious the whole book is. Powerful. Uh, just to get a, a step back, did they stay in one location? Maybe there was one house and one library that they go to and put together those books and then preserve it there? Where exactly uh, did, did this writing take place? Yeah, actually, most of it took place in Asia and Africa, parts of it in Europe. Oh, wow, that's impressive. So it's not just one place, one location, but it was a book that's intended for people from different walk of life, written by people from different walk of life, but also in multiple locations. Yeah, three different continents. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Um, what language was the Bible written in? Mm. There are three languages, but two primary ones. The Old Testament is primarily in Hebrew, but you will also find in certain portions of it, it's in Aramaic. Mm, powerful. And then in the New Testament, the main language there is Greek. So you have Hebrews, Aramaic, and Greek. Yes, uh, I have a problem. I only speak English, so how do we go from uh, Hebrews, you know, Greek, Aramaic, and then circulate those language and, and that translation to other people? Yeah, right. Um, that's clearly a hurdle for most of us, right? We don't speak these languages. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible itself is actually the most widely translated book of all time and continues to be until this day. Oh. It is... Um, been translated into approximately uh, 2,200 different languages. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Wow. I can't even I, speak three. I didn't even know that there were so many languages. <laughs> yeah. So with those languages, believe mm -hmm. it or not, um, the translation of the Bible in the languages that we have today cover approximately 90% of the world's population. Wow, that's I, amazing. I think right now it's actually a little bit more than that. And mm -hmm. People are working on trying to get 100%. More and more. Uh, yeah. That's perfect. I, I'm excited to, to, to hear and to understand that the Bible is not one book written by one person, uh, but it was written by multiple authors. And also the target audience itself is multiple people, people from all walk of life. You know, this really should be no surprise to us too, because Jesus already said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Mm -hmm. And then the end shall then shall the end come. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. And that's a good promise right here. I want to take a step back. I don't want to go too much deeper into what is the Bible and what is it, what does the entail. But I want to know, uh, please explain this to me. Where exactly does the Bible come from? We know there was written by different people from different work of life. But where exactly, who is the author behind this cohesive book? Yeah, so there were people that originally wrote certain manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And these over time... Mind you, the people too, they were Jews, mm -hmm. they were Hebrews, right? So at the beginning, there were these original manuscripts. Mm. And then over time, you cannot preserve an original manuscript for in, you know, an indefinite period of time. So what ends up happening is you got to make a copy. So they were faded over time, right? So yeah, they began to fade. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening with transmission of the text over time is there would be scribes that would be their sole purpose was to copy manuscripts and make a brand new 
copy of these uh, these texts. Got it. And is there a way, is there a process that they follow to make sure that the sources that we have of the Bible is reliable? Yeah, now, the, the process that they took, we would find quite mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, you know, if you don't think the Bible is the Word of God, that's one thing, but you got to recognize that the guys who were responsible for transmitting this stuff, they did. For example, I'll read you something. This comes from um, Samuel Davidson. He wrote a book called The Hebrew Text of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. This comes from page 89 of that book. It says here, A synagogue roll must be written on the skins of clean animals. Number two, must be prepared for the particular use of the synagogue by a Jew. Mm-hmm. These must be fastened together with strings taken from clean animals. Every skin must contain a certain number of columns mm-hmm. equal throughout the entire codex. So there was a level of details even in the preservation of the book. Yeah. Continue. And the detail is extremely minute. Mm-hmm. He continues by saying the length of each column must not extend over less than 48 or more than 60 lines. And the breadth must consist of 30 letters. Oh, wow. The whole copy must be first lined. And if three words be written without a line, it is worthless. Oh, wow. The ink should be black, neither red, green, nor any other color, and be prepared according to a definite recipe. An authentic copy must be the exemplar from which the transcriber ought not in the least to deviate. No word or letter, not even a yod, that's a little Mm -hmm. punctuation mark in Hebrew, must be written from memory, the scribe not having (laughs) looked at the codex before him. Mm -hmm. Between, it's, It's not just, you know, from the head. They have to actually transcribe what they saw. Correct. And between every consonant, the space of a hair or thread must be inter- must intervene. Mm-hmm. Between every new parash or section, the breadth of nine consonants. Between every book, three lines. The fifth book of Moses must terminate exactly with a line, but the rest need not do so. Beside this, the copyist must sit in full Jewish dress, wash his whole body, <laughs> not begin to write the name of God with a pen newly dipped in ink, and should a king address him while writing that name, he must take no notice of him. <laughs> That's pretty, uh, the protocol here, pretty well said. And even, the, you know, the dress, and not, um, not only the text himself, but even the dress also. Have you ever heard of anybody doing this with uh, Aristotle's work or with Darwin's work? I, I haven't. No, I haven't either. <laughs> uh, there is this passage in the book of Peter that seems to suggest that the Bible was inspired by, by God himself. What do you make of it? Mm. Yeah, well, it says there in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21, mm-hmm. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just one man, again, like we've mm-hmm. demonstrated here. Not one man was responsible for the whole thing, but a group of men over time came together, but all of them alike were inspired by mm-hmm. one Spirit of God. Yes, so we, we see that it was written by different writers from multiple walks of life, but the author behind the book itself was God himself. There's a divine inspiration behind the book, we can say. Yes, absolutely. And talking about the preservation, I know there's, there's uh, the Masoretic Jews, you know, they spend a lot of time in, in and resources, preserving the Bible, what level of detail did they put in, into this work? Right. So here's another text. This comes from Frederick G. Kenyon in Our Bible and the Ancient Manuscripts. This is page 38 of that book. And he says there, 
They numbered the verses, words, and letters of every book. They calculated the middle word and the middle letter of each. They enumerated verses which contained all the letters of the alphabet, or a certain number of them. These trivialities had yet the effect of securing minute attention to the precise transmission of the text, and they are but an excessive manifestation of a respect for the sacred scriptures, which in itself, which in itself deserves nothing but praise. Got it. I don't want to be too critical, but I do want to take a step back because all the references that we've been looking at in you know, the preservation of the Bible, uh, they are really dealing with the Old Testament. And I think in the beginning, you shared with us that the Bible is composed of those, this Old Testament aspect and there's also a New Testament aspect. And, and mm. the earlier references, we talk about how was preserved in Hebrews, but earlier we mentioned that the Bible is written in Hebrews, Greek, and Aramaic. Mm. Is there any references or any things that you can point us to that kind of like give us an idea how the New Testament itself is reliable? Great question. Yeah, the New Testament is phenomenal when it comes to reliability. Even um, more so than the old, would you say? I would say even more so than the old. Oh, that's interesting. Go for it. So it says, here's, here's a quote from Edward Glennie in The Preservation of the Scripture, page 96. He says that no one questions the authenticity of the historical books of antiquity because we do not possess the original copies. You know? Okay, what does that mean? Yet we have far fewer manuscripts of these works than we possess of the New Testament. So what he's trying to say is there was... When an event happened in ancient times, mm -hmm. there was a writing that recorded the event mm -hmm. and the event itself. Yeah, and the space of time between them was either great or there are few copies. Okay. And yet none of the scholars doubt the authenticity of those events that were recorded. Okay. So you're saying there's events that happened in the past and there's scribes, scribes that note down those events. But even with very few copies, there's no one that actually questioned uh, the reliability of those. Of those. Correct. What are, you, what are you trying to go with this? So we can give you a few examples for that. The um, one book that most people are probably familiar with, you might remember this from high school or just, you know, maybe college at some point, uh, Homer's Iliad. Okay. Remember that book? <laughs> I heard of it. Okay, you heard of it. Yeah, I don't remember it much either. And Homer's Iliad um, was written around 800 BC. That's pretty old. Okay. That's when it was supposed to have been written. The earliest copy that we have of that book is 400 BC. Oh, so, 400 years. So what's the math? Yeah. 400, right? 800 yes. minus 4. Right? 400. It's a 400-year gap. And the number of copies that we have of the book itself, 643. So it's not... That's a lot still. It sounds like a lot, yeah. 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 It yeah. is a lot. Okay. Yeah. Now, here, here's another example. 600, that's a lot. Go ahead. Uh, another author by the name of Herod Herodotus. Mm -hmm. Herodotus. It's a historical book, right? Yeah. It's history. It's a history book. Mm -hmm. And this book was written in 480 to 425 BC. And the actual earliest copy that we have is from 980. That's crazy. Okay, you want to try that's the math on that That's over a thousand years, right? Is this 900? Yeah. yeah. That's over a thousand years. Over a thousand years. <laughs> uh, approximately 1,350 okay, years. I, I was a little bit close. And guess how many copies? 500? Yeah, so. right. Only eight. So we're we getting lower from, from the previous one. Right? Getting much lower. And the catch is there are numerous examples like this that you can go through from antiquity. Mm -hmm. And the scholars of today 
They don't doubt the authenticity of these works or the events that are recorded, and yet you get a gap of over a thousand years and you only get a handful of manuscripts. Got it. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, in the Greek language alone, you have over 5,300 manuscripts. Wow. So that's almost nine times what we see for Homer, or eight, eight times for what we see for Homer's Iliad. Yeah, approximately. Yeah, that's impressive. And, and what's the gap between uh, the event itself and, and the copies? All right, so the date written of the event itself is actually 50 to 100 AD. Okay. okay. Well, can you break it down? Why is there a big 50 to... So, Paul was the one who was supposed to have... Um, the earliest copies that we have are actually from Paul. Got it. So, there's also multiple authors even in the New Testament as well. Even within the New Testament. Got yeah. It. Makes sense. And so, the time... And John, one of the other disciples, mm-hmm. one of the apostles, he was the one to finish the New Testament. And he finished anywhere between 90 and 100 AD. Got it. But the, the events themselves happened sometime earlier, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the century. So we're looking at no more than really 50 years between the events and the actual um, re- record of the event, the earliest copy of the manuscripts recording that event. Pretty good. That's um, amazing. That's so, like phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Compared to Homer's and, and, and all of those yeah. uh, sources. And, and when you consider the languages of all these other manuscripts, the New Testament has approximately 25,000 manuscripts mm-hmm. to support its authenticity, which means that you can go back and you can actually cross-check and compare the manuscripts. Makes sense. All right. Uh, here's a quote, if you don't mind. Go for it. This is also from uh, Frederick Kenyon in his book, Handbook to the Textual Criticism of the New Testament. Okay. I, I can see why people question and this is from page four of that book. It says, In no other case is the interval of time between the composition of the book and the date of the earliest extant or existing manuscripts so short as in that of the New Testament. The books of the New Testament were written in the latter part of the first century. The earliest extant manuscripts, trifling scraps ex- uh, accepted, are of the fourth century, say from 250 to 300 years later. Now, this may sound like a considerable considerable interval, but it is nothing to that which parts most of the great classic uh, classical authors from the earliest manuscripts. We believe that we have in all essentials an accurate text of the seven extant plays of Sophocles. Yet the earliest substantial manuscripts upon which it is based were written more than 1,400 years after the poet's death. Wow, that's a big gap. 300 to 1,400, bro. That's yeah, a big gap. Massive. Now, looking at the Bible, we established that it's, it's a big book. It's written by multiple authors. Uh, can we make the case, and, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that there are parts of the Bible that's inspired, and there are parts of the Bible that is not inspired? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Huh? So actually what the Bible tells us is that this is in first or Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Mm-hmm. It says there that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the whole Bible is inspired, not just the old, or maybe not just the new, or maybe not just part of the old or part of the new, uh, but according to Timothy, that the whole Bible uh, is inspired. Is that correct? Yes, the whole thing would be considered inspired. Okay. And for the people themselves that wrote the book, not for us, for the people themselves that wrote the book, did they actually believe that the book was inspired? Yes. Uh, Can you give us a a few examples of... uh, in those cases. Yeah, so all of the guys that wrote the book, pretty much all of them, mm-hmm. you can find a confession on their part where they said, this message that we are bringing mm-hmm. is not really our own. We got it from 
elsewhere that God is the author. Okay. So here are a few examples. In Second uh, Samuel chapter 23 and verse 2, David said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Mm-hmm. Another prophet by the name of Jeremiah, in chapter 1, verse 9, said, The Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Okay, so we have two. Yeah. And then in Ezekiel, another prophet, contemporary with Jeremiah, in the second chapter, in verse 7, God told Ezekiel, Thou shalt speak my words. Okay, so there was God's word according to Ezekiel. And um, in Luke, chapter 1, verse 70, in the New Testament, when Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Ghost, he said that God had spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Okay, most definitely. So we see this concept that the Bible is inspired, and we have a very clear idea of where it comes from, who wrote it. Uh, I want to ask this question, and maybe that's, that might be a little, bit, a little bit of a curveball, but is there any difference between the Bible, because the Bible claimed to be inspired, and other sacred texts that we also see to be inspired? What's the difference between the Bible? What makes the Bible special? Mm. Well, one of the main things that subs- that separates the Bible mm-hmm. from all of the other books, we've looked at some of them. The actual com of the Bible, mm-hmm. the authors that were a part of it, the time span and how long it took to put it together. Mm-hmm. All of these things are unique to the Bible. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that really makes it stand apart is that it is the only book with predictive prophecy. Oh, wow. And amazing. not just predictive prophecy, but we're talking like detailed prophecies. Wow, that's amazing. Talking about the fall and rise of nations. Wow, that's amazing. And we also see also in the Bible, there's this, uh, there's a hope in the end, a hope the salvation of men uh, taken into place and being really detailed of what God himself planned for the human race as well. Yes. The plan of salvation as presented in the Bible is totally unique to oh, wow. the Bible. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so um, let's say I just listened to this whole thing and I want to make it practical. What advice will you give to someone that, that is looking forward to explore the Bible? Any mm-hmm. Anything that you will say? Yeah. So for me personally, I think the best thing that a person can do is just get started. Okay, so they actually have to read it, look <laughs> yeah. into it. Okay. <laughs> actually have to read it. At least start there. And even if you don't understand it at first, and if you've never read it, the chances are you probably won't. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand it for sure when and I everything. started reading it. Mm-hmm. But I can promise that if you just keep with it, it will begin to make a lot more sense. Oh, I agree. And something practical that a person can do, if you want to test it, Okay, so like a trial <laughs> thing. You want to put it to the test. Here's a very practical way to do it. Take a proverb from the book of Proverbs, one a day. Mm-hmm. So 31 Proverbs. 31 Proverbs. You got one for each day of the month. And just take certain parts of it and see if you don't find that, that its wisdom proves true in your life. Okay, so one proverb a day, that's like a practical way to at least get started. A proverb a day keeps the sin away. <laughs> All righty. And I think another another <laughs> advice that we can also look into is that the Bible, as we mentioned before, is written by multiple authors. Right? There's multiple sections in the Bible. There is part that deal with history. Right? There is part that deal with poetic books. There is part that deal with salvation. Right? There is part that deal with, you know, uh, how to live in this world. Right? There is part that dealt with, you know, if, if you 
if you're looking for advice, uh, you know, it can be anything, you know, about happiness, <laughs> uh, about, you know, uh, how to be uh, mentally stable. There's advice about fear, how to handle fear, depression, stress, and all those things. Like, pick a section in the Bible that you want to study and, and start with that, right? If you like poetry, I think the book of Psalm, for example, is really powerful, right? If you want to look into the gospel itself, the book of John is, is a great start, starter if for someone that wants to get into the Bible. And like we were saying, we don't believe that you, you have to be a scholar and, 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 and you know, make, you know, make a big study out of everything. But even for those small beginner, uh, you can go into the Bible and start right away. Yeah, absolutely. All of that is great. Find something that you enjoy. Start there. Yeah, most definitely. How can we make this study and, and this idea of the Bible being inspired fresh in our life? Yes. I think the best thing that we can do is is first recognize that it is inspired Mm -hmm. and you will find inspiration to live a better life. Okay. Take the time each day to read it. It doesn't have to be so much. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be better to actually apply a little bit that you read instead of sitting there and trying to understand a lot. Everything. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So a step at a time. Like (laughs) One step at a time. Find inspiration in it to help you live the life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. And one thing I also want our viewers and listeners to understand is that when we study the Bible and when we look into the Bible, we approach it and understand that it is a spiritual book. Right? And when we come to study the Bible, we ask God to guide us as well. And there's an invitation of, in the Bible that calls us to not only look at the Bible and, and take it you know, as, 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 you know, as, as, you know, as a random book, but he actually calls us to prove the Bible. What do you make of that? I think everybody should try it. Yeah, it's a proof all thing, and then hold. Yeah, on that, which is good, right? Yeah, First First Thessalonians chapter five, 20, verses twenty and yeah. twenty one. Yeah, to prove, to prove the Bible and actually test it, put it to the test. Yeah, and, and see how we actually change your life. And I think this is the claim that the Bible uh, tried to make. Yeah, it's trying to say if you put me to the test, I, I can change you. Wow, that's amazing! <laughs> I really, really enjoy this Bible study, and I get a lot of it and understanding where the Bible comes from. And understanding that it is a very inspired book. Uh, what about you? Absolutely. I can't, I don't get tired of this ever. Oh, that's amazing. I really enjoy it. Yes, and we hope all of you out there listening did as well. Well, from the Word Midfresh podcast, we are your hosts, Matthew Tracy, Tracy and uh, Wendy Sentil. Please like, subscribe, comment, and join us next time. We're looking forward to having you.